the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Monday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. James Blend is producing Clark Hilton Engineering and Dan Rice. Well, he's given up his office for the sake of the cause. Today on the program, we're going to talk about the day's headlines. For example, the Electoral College will be seated today. Uh, we also have a COVID-19 vaccine arriving in Oregon and all across the country, that and much more. The Supreme Court rejecting the Texas lawsuit that had the potential to impact the outcome of the 2020 presidential election. And in the second hour of today's program, we'll share the Christian Outlook. I had the opportunity to host this week, and uh, we'll share that with you in the second hour of today's program. Well, President Trump uh, vowed that the end of his campaign uh, that he, rather, and his campaign are going to continue to go forward with their legal challenges against November's election results, despite the Electoral College getting set to cast their votes today. Well, he was on Fox and Friends in an interview that aired on Sunday morning, that even uh, saying that even though the Supreme Court rejected a case brought by Texas against several swing states over their elections, he still has other challenges to play. No, it's not over, the president said. We keep going and we're going to continue to go forward. We have numerous local cases, Trump said, claiming that he won Pennsylvania, Michigan and Georgia, while uh, noting that he has an ongoing case in Wisconsin. When asked about Monday's Electoral College vote, which is when the country officially elects the president, the president, uh, the current president, recognized that he is under a time crunch. That's putting it mildly. Well, the president said it was a rigged election and attributed uh, this to local Democrats who outsmarted their Republican counterparts. This wasn't like a close election, Trump said. You look at Georgia. We won Georgia big. We won Pennsylvania big. We won Wisconsin big. We won it big. Meanwhile, the president's legal team lost its federal case in Wisconsin, arguing another uh, in the the state's Supreme Court. Trump's team continues uh, the legal fight as the Electoral College safe harbor deadline has come and gone. And the White House says the president's election challenges are about commitment to free and fair elections. Well, NYPD shot an armed suspect at Cathedral Church in St. John's the Divine in Harlem over the weekend. An armed suspect has been fatally shot by police after opening fire during a Christmas concert outside the Cathedral Church at St. John the Divine in Harlem. NYPD Commissioner Dermot Shea said the incident occurred at about 345 when a man shouted, kill me, and fired multiple shots just outside the doors of the church at the conclusion of the caroling concert. Shea praised the actions of his officer, saying, I can tell you from the preliminary body camera, and again, this is quick, that we watched. You see three officers acting heroically, sergeant, detective, and police officer engaging an armed perpetrator, putting themselves in harm's way to put people that are literally hiding behind these poles behind me caught in the crossfire. He went on to say, so it is by the grace of God today that we don't have anyone struck. In other developments, uh, New York City has freed thousands of gun suspects this year as shootings have soared in New York. And two NYPD officers who were shot in Queens have been released from the hospital. Two New York City police officers have been wounded in a daytime shooting as well. 
Well, senior White House staff members who work in close proximity with the president were reportedly to be among the first Americans to receive coronavirus vaccine injections. However, in a Sunday evening tweet, the president wrote that he would ask for White House employees to receive the vaccine later on in the distribution process. People working in the White House should receive the vaccine somewhat later in the program and less specifically necessary. I have asked that this adjustment be made, he wrote. I am not scheduled to take the vaccine, but look forward to doing so at the appropriate time. Thank you. End quote. Well, on Saturday, officials announced the vaccine would begin arriving in states today, and they have, after the U.S. Food and Drug Administration formally gave emergency approval to Pfizer and BioNTech's vaccine candidate last week. In other developments, 61 percent say that they'll take the coronavirus vaccine in a recent poll. And Biden's three-point plan to tackle the coronavirus involves masks, vaccinations and opening schools. Well, President Trump says the coronavirus vaccine will end the pandemic. He also touted progress as a modern-day miracle. Kevin McCarthy called Nancy Pelosi out over House voting inconsistency, saying her power is more important. Former aide, a former aide, says uh, Mario Cuomo sexually harassed her for years. And Trump weighs in on a report that the Cleveland Indians plan to change their nickname. Cancel culture at work, he wrote. An explosion reported on an oil tanker off Saudi Arabia is believed to be caused by an external source. And as escaped Tennessee prison inmate is found in Florida after a manhunt by local law enforcement. Well, the White House has confirmed a cyber attack report on the U.S. Treasury by a foreign government. And a New York City business owner is haunted by an Amazon loss amid the pandemic. $2,000 for a Christmas tree. Customers are paying a higher price this year. A California restaurant owner is blasting Hollywood's hypocrisy and the coronavirus restrictions. And a California tourist town refuses to comply with the lockdown order. An ex-Facebook executive suggests that everyone who gets vaccinated wear a certain color mask to distinguish themselves from those who have yet to receive the vaccine. Well, in other news, the FDA approved the vaccine shipments that began to arrive all across the country today. Hospital systems nationwide uh, were expected to first receive the shipments of Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine. General Gustav Perna, the chief operating officer of Operation Warp Speed, said on Saturday, within the next 24 hours, those boxes will move from Pfizer's manufacturing facility to UPS and FedEx hubs, where they will be delivered to 638, or rather 36, predetermined locations nationwide, he told the media. An estimated 2.9 million doses will be distributed within the first week. That number is expected to ramp up significantly in the coming weeks to as much as 40 million doses by the end of 2020. Another story notes that it will take the immunization of 30 percent of Americans with vaccines to start to see a difference. Uh, Sahan told Fox that that could happen by next April, but he noted that people must have the injections. Well, New Jersey will give the first doses on Tuesday, and the timing comes as a story claims that 12 uh, county region in California is out of ICU bed capacity as a second wave of COVID-19 ravages the state's rural Central Valley. Well, as I mentioned, the Supreme Court rejected Texas's challenge to Biden's election victory. The news came on Friday. The story explains that the suit was President Trump's last chance to overturn the election results before the Electoral College convened, and that's today, of course, to formally cast ballots. 306 for Mr. Biden, 232 for the incumbent. 
Alan Dershowitz noted that the three justices that President Trump appointed, his three justices, voted not to hear the case. Chris Christie said the reason the Supreme Court is not taking this is not because of a lack of courage. It's for the same reason that every court has thrown this out. It's a lack of evidence. The Wisconsin federal court uh, turned away another Trump lawsuit. And the Wisconsin decision? Well, we'll have to wait and see. The Wall Street Journal points out the editorial board that the Electoral College meets Monday to cast its votes for president, officially marking Joe Biden as the election winner. President Trump's legal challenges have run their course, and he and the rest of his, the Republican Party can help the country and themselves by acknowledging the result and moving on. Meanwhile, Biden uh, presumed presidential elect, I think the Electoral College might change that presumed word, uh, Joe Biden considered Mario Cuomo for attorney general and quickly sexual misconduct allegations pop up against the governor. And there may be others. More on that can be read at hotair.com. Tulsi Gabbard has introduced legislation to help female athletes. The outgoing Democratic representative is facing backlash after she joined Republican Representative Mark Wayne Mullen to introduce legislation specifying that Title IX protections for female athletes are based on biological sex. Notice this Huffington Post story headline, Tulsi Gabbard introduces anti-transgender bill about claiming to be LGBTQ friendly. Well, again, pitting one group against another. Franklin Graham says this is impacting the lives and futures of tens of thousands of young women who just want a level playing field. They shouldn't have to compete against boys and men, and Tulsi isn't afraid to defend this basic women's right. But the progressive left is shocked that anyone, especially a Democrat, would dare to come against them. Thank you, Tulsi Gabbard. I believe there are millions of Democrats across the country who agree and hope they'll stand with her and let her know that. Um, Again, uh, Graham points out that I have always liked Tulsi because she's got guts. Tulsi Gabbard herself said Title IX is an historic law that positively changed everything for women and girls. And she explained how and why she introduced the Protect Women's Sports Act to clarify, uphold, and strengthen the original intent of the title, ensuring a level playing field for girls and women. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We need to take a quick break, but we'll be back in just a few moments. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, billionaire Bill Gates is calling for more businesses to shut down. Remarkably convenient for a man who, well, has it all. He was unchallenged by Jake Tapper when interviewed, not even sure why he was interviewed as an expert on the subject. Jim Garrity points out that even if you agree with the message, and he doesn't, the optics of the world's richest or second or third richest whatever man telling other people to shut down their businesses for half a year are about as bad as it gets. Of course, these people are struggling. Many are struggling. Meanwhile, AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, is comparing having children to breeding dogs. She's not had any children, so maybe that will change. Not so much as an insult to motherhood, but in a bizarre comparison that reveals her struggle with common sense thought. She said, do we know how long puppies are allowed to stay with their mothers after a dog has given birth? Eight weeks? So the market has decided that women and people who give birth deserve less time with their children than a dog. And I I think that that at its core has shown that the market has failed to treat people with dignity and with basic respect. Okay, I'll just leave it at that. An NRA Santa delivered a collection of Nerf guns to a boy told by Santa, no guns. Well, the video closes with the boy's parents who said hundreds of Nerf guns have been sent to their boy. The dad is a cop and NRA member and an instructor. 
Well, the Cleveland Indians, if I might be so bold as to say, are bailing on their name. They've had that name for 105 years. Hugh Hewitt points out extreme. He, by the way, is an extreme Indians fan. He says the Indians will be the same club with a new name. My preference is the tribe or blue Sox. My love for the team or its history doesn't change. It's the region, the team. My grandfather attended 40 consecutive home openers. He wasn't a fan because of a name. Go tribe. Well, Dan McLaughlin says time to erase all images of baseball's first black manager and first integrated world champions. And Donald Trump says, oh, no, what's going on? This is not good news. Even for Indians, cancel culture at work. You can decide for yourselves what you think of the name change. Well, today, electors across the country voted for president. And yet uh, President uh, Trump says it's not over. He pledges to press forward in election challenges. Hunter Biden has failed to disclose $400,000 in Burisma income in his 2014 tax return. And an email requesting the D.C. office keys uh, for a father and Chinese business partner from Hunter, apparently his dad's office. Well, Black Lives Matter is accusing Biden of ignoring the movement, calling it demeaning to our hurt and trauma. And Atlanta Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms, a former VP contender, has turned down a Team Biden offer. We're calling it a scandal to the faith. Black pastors are urging Raphael Warnock to reverse his abortion position. This is an exercise in futility. Any denouncement of abortion by Warnock would be disingenuous at best and deceptive at worst. Of what um, benefits, of what benefit rather, is getting him to denounce abortion verbally when in his heart he still approves of it. Abortion is a justice issue to Warnock, Daryl P. Harrison points out. Well, ex-NFL coach Tony Dungy is skeptical about Warnock's faith after the pro-choice pastor's tweet. And Warnock uh, was quoted in 2017 saying senators were gangsters and thugs who aimed to kill children. I'm not sure how you square that with his pro-abortion position, but I'll leave that to you. Well, smart strategy. Trump is being uh, urged to send a Paris climate plan to the Senate for ratification to block President Biden. In the future, a bipartisan group is splitting $908 billion coronavirus proposal into two bills. And the New York Times assistant, a an assistant rather, who edited Senator Tom Cotton's send in the troops column has herself now resigned. Well, Facebook's fact checking certifier is a Hillary Clinton super fan. So much for um, being even handed. And YouTube's uh, YouTube rather shuts down Dilbert creator Scott Adams. You can read more about that at The Federalist. What do they find offensive in him, one wonders? Well, for the record, the media said a vaccine by the end of the year was impossible. They arrived in Oregon and Washington today. Just saying. Well, the FDA has given emergency use authorization to Pfizer COVID-19, the vaccine. <clears throat> the historic campaign to deliver that vaccine is underway. Shipments to, oh, to arrive all around the country in every state today. Well, the hidden pandemic crisis, elderly people are dying from isolation. And self-victimhood is a personality type, according to researchers. Well, the Senate passed the defense authorization bill with a veto-proof majority, and Russian hackers breached the U.S. government, targeting agencies and private companies. Well, tech giant Oracle is moving from California to business-friendly Texas, not the first to do that. And the Seattle City Council is considering a new poverty defense to excuse misdemeanor crimes such as theft and assault if the culprit, culprit rather, is homeless, addicted to drugs, or has mental health issues. Apparently, justice denied to 
taxpayers who are the victims of those crimes. Multiple people were stabbed and 23 arrested during a post-election protest in Washington, D.C. And despite the Illinois State Police's best efforts, Deep Blue Illinois leads the way in 2020 gun sales. A California judge blocked Governor Newsom from enforcing a lockdown order on Catholic churches and indoor dining shuts down in New York City again. And while New York goes out of business, Cuomo throws himself a birthday party. More on birthday parties later in the show. Yesterday was my mom's 90th birthday and the 26th anniversary of the kidney transplant. Well, leftists are now complaining that disposable masks are polluting the oceans, so I guess we should just all get COVID and die. I'm not sure what the solution is. A couple holds some, a mock wedding so that the grandmother with dementia can actually watch through the nursing home window. Really very, uh, very sweet. Well, on this day in history, 2012, a gunman with a semi-automatic rifle kills 20 first graders and six educators at Sandy Hook Elementary School in Newtown, Connecticut, then commits suicide as police arrive. 1799, George Washington, the first president of the United States, dies at his Mount Vernon, Virginia home at age 67. 1819, Alabama joins the Union as the 22nd state. 1911, Norwegian explorer Amundsen and his team become the first men to reach the South. <laughs> Let me get this right. Become the first men to reach the South Pole, beating out a British expedition led by Robert F. Scott. On this day in history, 1964, the U.S. Supreme Court in Heart of Atlanta Motel versus the United States rules that Congress was within its authority to enforce the Civil Rights Act of 1964 against racial discrimination by private businesses. In this case, a motel that refused to cater. To blacks. 1981, Israel annexes the Golan Heights, uh, which uh, it had seized from Syria in 1967. 1987, on this day in history, the experimental aircraft Voyager, piloted by Dick Rutan and Jenna Yeager, uh, they take off from Edwards Air Force Base in California on the first nonstop, non refueled flight around the world. On this day in history, 2008, an Iraqi journalist hurls his shoe. President George W. Bush, uh, Bush during a news conference in Baghdad. The president ducks the flying footwear as they whiz past his head and landed against the wall behind him. He simply chuckled. On this day in history, 2013, China carries out the world's first soft landing of a space probe on the moon in nearly four decades as the unmanned Chang's three lander touched down on the lunar surface. And finally, on this day in history, 2017, the Federal Communications Commission voted to repeal the Obama era net neutrality rules, a move that gives Internet service providers a free hand to slow or block specific websites and apps as they see fit or charge more for faster speeds. I mentioned a birthday party. Yesterday was my mom's 90th birthday, and I'm just so thrilled to have the uh, the honor and the joy of uh, hosting her party and hosting her for these last 16 years in our home, um, preparing for uh, the life that is to come. So I just wanted to uh, thank many of you who posted on Facebook a congratulatory note. It just blessed her heart uh, to see that. Lillian Rose, my mom, 90 years old yesterday.
Well, Governor Kate Brown today announced new measures the Oregon Department of Revenue will take to provide tax relief to Oregon small businesses suffering from the economic impacts of COVID-19. Now, these measures will eliminate penalties and interests in 2019 income tax due from Oregon businesses who are struggling to pay tax bills with the COVID-19 restrictions. I have heard from business owners across the state, the governor said, about the struggle to keep their doors open during these difficult times. Small business owners who play by the rules shouldn't face penalties penalties and fees because COVID-19 has robbed them of their livelihood. In March, the Department of Revenue implemented measures to help all taxpayers navigate COVID-19. Today, we are announcing an expansive expansion rather of that relief to help business owners who are struggling, end quote. Well, the additional tax relief provisions apply to personal income, corporate excise and corporate income taxes. Um, 100% penalty waivers on 2019 income tax due from businesses that are impacted by COVID-19. Also, 100% interest waivers on 2019 income tax due from small businesses that are impacted and continuing to provide extended payment plans of up to 36 months for any taxpayer impacted by COVID-19 when entering into an approved payment plan. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Just a reminder, in our second hour, you'll hear The Christian Outlook. I had the opportunity to host. We'll share that with you in the second hour of today's program. Well, the first shipments of the long-awaited coronavirus vaccine have arrived in Oregon, and I suppose Washington as well, although officials don't expect to begin inoculating any residents today. The shipments of the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccines were expected to arrive at about 10.30 this morning, but instead came early, according to the Oregon Health Authority. It's not immediately clear when vaccinations will begin, although an agency spokesperson suggested it may be Wednesday. Well, frontline health workers, health care workers, will be the first to receive the vaccination. Uh, They will um, need a second dose three weeks later in order for the vaccine to offer its full protection. The vaccine is estimated to be about 95% effective. Well, across the country on Monday, Americans in this first group began receiving immunizations, among them the critical care nurse in New York and workers at a medical center in Ohio. On Sunday, a scientific review panel here in Oregon, in California and in Washington, as well as Nevada, reviewed the data on the Pfizer vaccine and determined it was safe and efficacious. Last week, a U.S. panel of scientists reviewed trial data and gave the vaccine its stamp of approval. The director of the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, Robert Redfield, said Sunday he also recommended the vaccine. The Federal Food and Drug Administration also granted the vaccine an emergency use authorization for people ages 16 and older. Oregon officials expect 35,100 doses of the vaccine this week. By the end of December, Oregon could receive between 197 to 228,000 doses of both Pfizer, BioNTech and Moderna vaccines, according to the Oregon Health Authority and the governor's office. Meanwhile, as we enter this winter, we face alarming trends in the spread of COVID-19 around the country, according to Alex Azar, who is the Health and Human Service Secretary. He says, even in this challenging time, we have so much reason for hope. On Friday, the Food and Drug Administration authorized the first COVID vaccine. As I've mentioned, Operation Warp Speed and its private sector partners immediately began shipping the vaccines. With about 3 million doses on the way, this means that healthcare workers and residents of long-term care facilities all across America will begin receiving vaccines in the coming days. He writes that Americans who may fall into these categories, the exact allocations are done by states and public health jurisdictions, can find out more about 
where they will be receiving the vaccine from their state or local government, such as through the, the state's COVID-19 web page. This spring, experts predicted that a vaccine was at least a year or a year and a half away. Yet within a year, we have one vaccine authorized, millions of doses being shipped, and another vaccine under review by the FDA. We'll easily beat the experts' expectation, not by luck, but because of deliberate planning by President Trump's administration through Operation Warp Speed. American researchers and partners around the world began research and development on COVID-19 vaccines back in January. Work on Moderna's vaccine began the morning after the viral sequences was shared by Chinese researchers. And while this work progressed, the Trump administration identified the potential challenges that could slow access to the vaccines. First, the vaccines are complex and scaling up, but manufacturing takes time. Secondly, rapidly distributing and administering vaccines to every American is an unprecedented logistical project. Well, back in April, with the president's support, he started working with the Department of Health and Human Services scientific leaders and their colleagues across the administration to tackle these problems, recruiting world-class leaders to execute the uh, bold goals that were set. First, beginning production as soon as possible would accelerate the progress without compromising safety or efficacy. Vaccines are one of the most uh, complex products made in modern industry. Some are grown in chicken eggs with or with other specialized living media. Drug makers almost never invest in large-scale manufacturing up front, lest the investment go to waste if a drug isn't approved. To solve those challenges, they enlisted a scientist who has led the development of numerous major vaccines. HHS has uh, had deep experience working with researchers and innovators, which they did uh, through this process. Every day, he points out, the Pentagon ensured that manufacturing supplies got where they needed to, to uh, go, including between private sector companies, so that the, uh, the guns, bullets, food, and everything else the military needed are produced and shipped where they need to go using that same process. The Department of Defense, uniformed and civilian experts have now done the same thing for vaccine manufacturing through the Defense Production Act and other informal actions. Second, he says safe and effective vaccines are only as good as the plans we have for distributing and administering them. Coordinating with public health authorities and private sector partners would require the finest logistical experts in the world. When I met with the Secretary of Defense, he says, and the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs back in April, they immediately had a name for just such an uh, an expert. Uh, the individual, uh, Gustav Perna, a general who runs the U.S. Army's Logistical Command. Working with the private sector on the same evening of the authorization, they started shipping vaccines to administration sites in all 50 states and other public health jurisdictions. Well, it's a rather interesting process to consider, uh, and the uh, compressed time frame made it possible for Oregon, Washington, and every other state in the union to today receive the first rounds of this uh, approved vaccine. Well, predictably, Time Magazine chose the uh, presumed president-elect Joe Biden and his um, pending replacement, Kamala Harris, for its 2020 Person of the Year cover. Um, Like so many, you thought of the phone book full of more deserving and qualified cover options. I mean, maybe Joe Biden will be a great president, Kamala Harris, an historic vice president, but they've only been elected. They haven't even uh, taken the oath of office. What about those who are on the front lines of this pandemic? Well, one of who comes to mind is President Trump, whose historic efforts toward peace in the Middle East just netted a fourth Islamic nation stepping up uh, to normalize diplomatic relations with Israel and Saudi Arabia is not far behind. Um, however, I think most people's choice for person of the year, the cover, would be um, those who don scrubs and are 
ministering to those with COVID-19, those researchers and others who were instrumental in developing a pandemic vaccine that now we are uh, going to have access to. One suggestion was um, uh, a choice for the person of the year. The cover would be Chinese Dr. Li Wen Liang. The fact that most people don't know the name is very unfortunate. He was the Wuhan doctor who boldly rang the alarm about the yet-to-be-named COVID-19 virus when the communist Chinese were still concealing information about the deadly virus. Li's actions ensure that China could not continue con- to conceal the pandemic threat and thus arguably save millions of additional lives globally had the Chinese and World Health Organization cover-up continued for weeks. So those are just some suggestions that might be more um, appropriate for Time Magazine's Person of the Year. Now, I-, I don't know about you, but I've long abandoned any hope that uh, that designation has any real meaning. But nonetheless, it is a bit frustrating when you consider that there are those who have been um, working for our uh, sake for months um, and they were not mentioned. Well, after days of brutal criticism over state data showing a disappointing number of Oregonians testing for coronavirus, public health officials in Oregon held a news conference that was on November 20th to announce that Oregon wasn't performing as poorly as it appeared. And although data from two prominent COVID-19 test tracking websites showed Oregon ranked 49th or 50th nationally in its rate of testing, officials said Oregon's performance was instead in the middle of the pack. Well, to support that assessment, officials decided nine months into the pandemic, nine months in, to dramatically alter their reporting technique to highlight an entirely different set of testing statistics. So what they had been reporting was true that gave us the designation. They decided to point to other things so that we would look better. In other words, putting lipstick on a pig or discrediting their earlier reporting. I'm not sure which is the case. Anyway, we'll talk about how they're supporting their new assessment when we return in just a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Second hour, The Christian Outlook. I hope you'll stay with us. Well, to support this new assessment in the state of Oregon to, I don't know, shore up our image somewhat, officials decided nine months into the the pandemic to dramatically alter the way they're reporting uh, how many people are being tested. Well, instead of reporting the number of individual Oregonians tested, public health officials would now announce the number of tests conducted. That meant uh, rather than saying 52,000 individual Oregonians had been tested in the second week of November, Public health officials could now say a record 113,000 tests had been conducted, representing a vast increase from previous weeks and making Oregon will look better in national comparisons. You have to do what is right uh, in terms of the right way of reporting the data. That's a quote from the director of the Oregon Health Authority, Patrick Allen, explaining that the previous method undercounted people who sought multiple tests. So uh, an individual might have five tests, And they would have been counted once under the previous um, testing numbers. But now it would be five tests rather than one individual. So there you have it. Well, today essentially will be the real presidential election day or it's uh, scheduled to be as electors gather in their respective state capitals to cast votes. Now, when voters pick their candidate for president on election day every four years, as well as in early in mail-in voting this year, they actually chose a slate of electors associated with a candidate. Now, each of these electors later cast his or her vote for president on behalf of the state and according to its election results. Well, in past presidential election years, the uh, day the electoral 
college convenes to vote goes largely ignored as most of the public stops paying attention after Election Day. Well, this year is different. With allegations of voter fraud, litigation in key states, state legislature hearings, and public is more focused on the electors voting set for today. Well, in 2016, some Democrats attempted to raise the prospect of an electoral college revolt to overturn the state's uh, results in the presidential election, but the haphazard effort was unsuccessful. Major media outlets projected beginning November 7th that former Vice President Joe Biden won the election by 306 electoral votes to President Donald Trump's 232 electoral votes, with 270 needed to win the election. President Trump hasn't conceded, but has said that he would do so if the Electoral College votes for Biden. Here's some things to consider as the Electoral College meets. And it's not altogether clear, although it's expected that they will meet as they have historically. First of all, um, does the Electoral College have to vote today? Well, it's likely but not certain this time around that the electors will meet in each state as uh, is the custom to cast votes for president and vice president for reasons that I probably don't need to explain. Yes, there is time to pursue legal issues. Trump campaign lawyer Joe DiGenova, a former U.S. attorney for the District of Columbia, said in a virtual press conference on Tuesday, the deadline for states to certify their electors. He said that December 14th is not set in constitutional stone, rather, but statutory stone. Uh, They can be bent because if the Supreme Court were to find that there was fraud, that there were illegal ballots, that states violated their own constitutions, allowing mail-in ballots, and the courts were to nullify those votes, it could take enough time to have an oral argument in those matters and could issue an order saying the Electoral College would be postponed for a week or so. There's nothing in the Constitution that would prevent them from doing this. Uh, The dates for the Electoral College are not in the Constitution. Well, Texas, Pennsylvania... Uh, Rather, Texas sued Pennsylvania, Georgia, Wisconsin, and Michigan on Tuesday, alleging the four states imposed unconstitutional election rules, which, in fact, they did. On Friday evening, however, the Supreme Court rejected the complaint. They decided not to take it up, saying that Texas had no legal standing. I wondered if that would be the, uh, the issue. Well, all four states have made changes to their electoral laws without the approval of the legislature, which is required by the Constitution, either through the state bureaucracy or state courts. Should they have prevailed, referring to Texas, the result would be necessary, at least delayed, uh, the certification of electors from those four states. Traditionally, meeting in their respective state capitals, that's how the Electoral College meets. Electors in each state record their vote on six um, certificates of vote, and those will be paired on Monday with six certificates of ascertainment, according to the National Archives and Records Administration, the agency that coordinates certain Electoral College functions between the states and Congress. The electors then sign, seal, and certify the electoral votes. Well, can the uh, state legislatures appoint new electors? Well, the Trump legal team has appealed to Republican-controlled state legislatures to do just that, a new slate of electors in battleground states where they allege fraud occurred. At this juncture, if any legislature acted to do this, it would delay voting by the electors in the state. That has not happened, and the expectation is it will not. Well, does COVID-19 change anything? Well, every state is taking its own measures regarding social distancing as electors do prepare to meet. Nevada, one of the closely uh, contested states where the Trump legal team sued, is going to virtual voting. Secretary of State there, a Republican, will preside in a meeting conducted over Zoom. Nevada has six electoral votes. A spokeswoman from the Secretary of State's office confirmed this, uh, that that's how they'll be doing it. And some other states may uh, consider doing something as uh, similar, remote processing as well. 
So what's next after the Electoral College vote? Well, it won't entirely be over procedurally after Monday. The next big date will be January the 6th when the matter moves to Congress. And if the election still isn't settled, it could spill over to the House of Representatives where each state's delegation would get one vote. On November 27th, the reporter asked Trump, if the Electoral College does elect President-elect Joe Biden, are you not going to leave the building? Trump responded, certainly I will. Certainly I will. And you know that. But I think that there uh, will be a lot of things happening between now and then and the 20th of January, which, of course, is Inauguration Day. And a lot has happened. And according to the president's comments over the weekend, will continue to happen. And could Congress decide the results? Well, in 2017, numerous House Democrats objected to the results of the presidential election, pitting Trump um, against Democrat Hillary Clinton. However, an objection requires a sponsor from both the House and the Senate, and no Senate Democrats uh, participated. Likewise, should any congressional Republicans want to challenge the apparent 2020 outcome, they would need support from members in both the House and the Senate. Any objection to electoral votes must be submitted in writing and signed by at least one House member and one Senate uh, senator. If objections are presented and the House and Senate withdraw to their respective chambers to consider the merits of the objections under procedures set out by federal law, according to the National Archives and Records Administration. In theory, an objection at this point could prevent certification of the presidential election. That's because under the Constitution's 12th Amendment, if no presidential candidate wins at least 270 electoral votes, then the House would decide the election, according to the National Archives. Well, Democrats have a House majority, but Republicans hold a majority in um, more state delegations. And in the House, each state, not each member, gets one vote. That would give Trump a partisan advantage and possibly one last chance to hold on to the presidency. Well, I'll leave it at that, but I guess it really isn't over till it's over. Well, I'm trying to decide what I want to share with you as our time is clicking by. I've got so much here. I probably have to uh, carry some of this over into um, into tomorrow. But I will mention this one final thing. Um, barricades that had blocked the stretch of North Mississippi Avenue were slowly coming down Sunday afternoon as the uh, black and indigenous family fighting to save their North Portland house lost to foreclosure struck a tentative deal with the city. The Red House on Mississippi has reached a deal with the city, the barricades are coming or came down. I um, I should say that um, this is not too distant from where I live, so this has been quite a conundrum in the neighborhood. Well, activists on Sunday put up, uh, rather put out a call on Twitter asking for people to return uh, to what's become known as the Red House and help clear the street, saying police had agreed not to force the family to leave while those negotiations were ongoing, so long as the uh, street was cleared by Monday night. Mayor Wheeler's office said that under the deal reached uh, late Saturday, the streets and sidewalks near the house would be cleared. There was no indication of an agreement in place to sell the house back to the Kinneys, although the current owner has offered to do that just that. Uh, the, and uh, the family apparently owns another house in the neighborhood as well. Well, the family's path to the Red House foreclosure was long. It was filled with bizarre twists, but apparently the... Uh, Controversy surrounding it has been resolved to the degree that the debris around the home and the barricades have been removed. We've got news and traffic coming up here at the top of the hour, and then we'll share the Christian outlook. I had an opportunity to host this time around, so I hope you'll enjoy it. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back. Thanks for listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G Rice Show. 
and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ.